I'm also excited to be with you this morning just to, to talk with you as we continue our series entitled The Helper. And this series is dealing with the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and in public worship. And today we have a lot to cover, so I don't have time to jump into a real deep uh, recap from last week's message, but I would encourage you that if you missed that message to go catch it online. You can go to JFA or jfirstassembly.org. Uh, you can hit the listen tab or you can watch on Facebook. But I'd encourage you to listen to that message because it will bring some clarity to this message. In the previous message, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God that takes up residency inside the life of the believer when we are saved for our sanctification. Then the, Jesus told his disciples to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit for their empowerment. And it's very important to understand, as we talked about last week, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just an event, but it is a lifestyle. And it should be expected as a believer that the Holy Spirit will indeed manifest himself in the life of a believer in a variety of ways throughout our life, as we saw in the disciples as we read through the book of Acts. Now, in the first message, we primarily looked at the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual believer, and now we're going to start looking at the Holy Spirit's work in corporate worship, kind of like the setting we are in right now. And this message is going to be a little bit different from my normal message in regards to its structure. This is going to be a little bit more of a conversation, a Bible study, if you will. This week, next week, and then a few weeks thereafter, we're going to be looking uh, at three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapters 13 and 14, and we're going to literally go verse by verse through these three chapters to see what the scripture has to say about how the Holy Spirit intends to work in corporate worship. This section of scripture is the primary source when discussing spiritual gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in corporate worship. Now, the reason why Paul goes into a lot of detail in these three chapters is because in the book of Acts, we understand that it is primarily descriptive versus prescriptive. And what that means is we read in the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit was working in the life of the first believers, but it doesn't necessarily tell us the mechanics or give us the parameters of how the Holy Spirit intends to work in the life of believers. So we see the miracles, we see the prophecy, we see the tongues, we see all these things, but how do we flesh that out in corporate worship in order for the lost to be saved and the church to be edified? Well, that's where 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 comes in because it gives us the prescription. It tells us how to flesh out these spiritual gifts. So maybe you're here today and the idea or the thought of spiritual gifts is completely new to you. I want you to know that is okay because hopefully by the end of this series, uh, you will have a better understanding and some clarity of this topic in your own life. Maybe you're here and you've read the book of Acts and you've seen some things uh, in scripture and you have questions. Hopefully this series brings some clarity to that as well. Here's the big idea of this message. God wants to manifest himself in spiritual gifts for the common good, for the edification of the church in public worship. That's what we're going to see. Now, to understand how spiritual gifts need to work, you need to understand the what of spiritual gifts, the why of spiritual gifts, and the how of spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 show all of this to us. And so as we work through this, today we're primarily going to look at the what 
of spiritual gifts and the why of spiritual gifts. And then in the next several weeks, we're going to look at the how of spiritual gifts. Again, just for some reference so that you understand how we're going to be approaching this, normally I'd read the entire scripture and then we would work backwards through that. Uh, Unfortunately, today, because it's a large portion, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture and then teach and read and teach and follow that pattern for the remainder of this service. And the reason why I chose this is because I want you to see scripture in its context. I don't want to cherry pick different verses to get them to say what I want them to. Rather, I want you to have a full picture of scripture so that you understand what God is trying to say. Furthermore, I would encourage you before each service over the next several weeks, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 again so that it can be fresh inside of your mind. So I want to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to begin uh, by diving into scripture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you want to work in and among us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you did not leave us as orphans, but you sent your spirit in us. And Lord, you work through us and you speak to us through your spirit. And I pray today for clarity, Lord. I pray that we lift up your word and Lord, that it would speak to our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. I'm going to start reading verse number one. We're going to read verses one through three to kind of get us off the ground. And here's what the scripture says. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is the one that's writing this book of the Bible, and he's writing to a church in Corinth, and he's addressing many of the things that that they're dealing with inside of their church. And he starts out with this amazing declaration to these believers in this chapter. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's basically saying, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I want you to be informed. I want you to know what's going on. And we need to understand the context of these three chapters. And the context of this passage is actually that of a rebuke. The Apostle Paul has authority over this church, and the church in Corinth is actually not lacking in the operation of the spiritual gifts, but is actually acting in excess, emotionalism, and sensationalism, as we are going to see in chapter number 14. If you look at the previous chapters, Paul's addressing many of the concerns that he has with this church. He's dealing with how communion was being taken improperly, and he he gives some correction of that. We, We know that in chapter number 11. He deals with modesty, and he's dealing with marriage in chapter 7. There's several issues that he's dealing with, and now when we turn here, he is dealing with spiritual gifts. And as we see in chapter 14, there's, there's a lot of confusion as what's going on inside of the church because the church is operating in spiritual gifts in such a way that, the, that an outsider was to come in that they would think that the church was outside of their mind to quote Paul. So Paul's writing to these believers, and he's trying to bring some correction to the church. And it's ironic how he starts out this chapter with a rebuke to people who thought that they were experts in spiritual gifts. You need to understand that he's drawing a line, and he's getting very serious right off the bat, and he says, look, I don't want you to be uninformed, but if you were to ask the believers, if you were to talk to these believers, they would think that they were very informed and that they were experts. 
So why is there a why is there a disconnect between what these believers believed and what Paul's actually bring into their mind? Well, I believe it's this that they were basing their, their, their assumption and their understanding of spiritual gifts by what they wanted versus really understanding what God's intent was. And I think this passage is calling us from the very beginning to call us to a place where we re-examine how gifts are to operate in the context of Scripture and not based upon what we would like to see. And this is true literally for everything that we believe. That's why I tell you all the time, study your word for yourself. Don't take my word for it. The Jesus, I was reading in my own personal dis, uh, dis, study this week, and Jesus was correcting the, the, the Pharisees because he says, you're not teaching the word of God, you're teaching doctrine taught by men. And there's a difference, and we need to make sure that what we believe is built upon scripture, not based upon what we have been told, based upon our experiences, or based upon what we want. It has to be rooted in the word of God. These believers were zealous but they did not have the knowledge that God intended for them to have. And so he's calling this into correction. Apparently, the Corinthians were zealous in spiritual gifts, but they were uninformed of their purpose and the operation. Now, when we say spiritual gifts, what are we talking about? When Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, what is he dealing with? The most familiar term that Paul uses in the Greek is charisma. It's the word that we derive charismatic from. Charisma works to the gracious work of God or something of God's grace that he has bestowed upon someone. The origins of spiritual gifts is always the grace of God. God, by his grace, is manifesting himself in the life of a believer, someone else. So spiritual gifts is God's grace in operation, if you will, through a believer. The purpose of spiritual gifts is found in verse number seven, and that is always for the common good of someone else. And what are the qualifier of these gifts? Paul said that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You can only operate in gifts when you have completely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you continue to surrender to him as Lord and Savior. That's already a lot. We could just stop right there and go home or eat some lunch. Okay, maybe not. You guys want to keep going? Okay, verses four through seven. Let's keep going. Let's keep reading. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The phrase I want you to zone in here between verses 4 and 7 is the expression, to each is given the manifestation for the common good. This passage is saying that spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in the life of an individual for the common good of the whole church in a public worship setting. Because we have to remember the context here. Paul is dealing with public worship. We're not talking about necessarily in the life of an individual believer at home. We're talking about public worship. And I believe Sam Storms gives us a great explanation of this scripture. He said this, I quote, There is a crucial principle we need to understand from the onset. Spiritual gifts are not God bestowing to his people something external to himself. They are not some tangible stuff or substance separable from God. Spiritual gifts are not less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our mind, infusing power to our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purpose through us. 
Spiritual gifts never must be viewed as if God is out there, has sent something to us down here. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, and human love. Gifts are God going public among his people. To reject spiritual gifts, to turn from this immediate and graciously divine enabling is in a sense to turn from God. It's no small issue whether one affirms or denies these manifestations of the divine presence. For in affirming them, we welcome him, and denying them, we deny him. This is so beautifully said, and it gives us some meaty knowledge to know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. Verse 7 says that spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. And I think that word manifestation is so important to understand and to grasp and to, to get inside of us. We must not see the gifts of the Spirit like we would think of a gift under a Christmas tree or a gift that we would get at our birthday. Right? It's not some thing external from God because the scripture says this to each one is given the manifestation of what? Of the Spirit. Right? So the gifts are the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God manifesting Himself in weak, fallible human beings for the purpose of accomplishing His will on earth. It's important to understand that the gifts of the Spirit are not the things we're about to see where it's the gift of prophecy and healing and etc. Rather, the, the gift is the manifestation of the Spirit himself in our life working through us in these gifts. And this teaches us something. The Holy Spirit manifests gifts. We need to remember that he is the one on display. We are not the ones being manifested. This passage also teaches us something else. We should not be afraid of spiritual gifts. The gifts are not dangerous because it is the Holy Spirit empowering and enabling gifts. So we should not fear the manifestation of the Spirit. Rather, we should welcome it. But on the other hand, on the other side, furthermore, we should be cautious to be very biblical because when we start approaching spiritual gifts outside the guidelines that the Holy Spirit has given us in his word, then the manifestation is not the Holy Spirit, but the manifestation is us. And we have to separate that. Why does the Holy Spirit manifest himself? Well, he tells us. He's very clear in verse number seven. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good is going to be the theme of all three chapters that we look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. The common good is the goal of the Holy Spirit. The common good is the theme of spiritual gifts in corporate worship. In a staff meeting a lot, when we're getting ready for an event, we talk about what is the win. If we do this event, how do we know if we succeed or if we fail? What is the win? Because defining the win allows you to define if you succeed or not. And the win that the Holy Spirit is dictating to us through this verse is the common good. Again, reading this in context, there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of services, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God empowers them all in everyone. He's saying God is working in this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is working to empower this. And to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. So God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit are in unity working through the individual in corporate worship for what the common 
common good. The common good is defined for us in these three chapters, and we're going to see that there is a hierarchy in order. The first, the common good is for the outsider, for the non-believer. We see this very clearly in chapter 14. We will get to it in a few weeks. Uh, You can skip ahead and read that in your own personal devotion and study time. But when we operate in spiritual gifts, we have to ask ourselves and we have to be aware, how does an outsider receive this? Paul goes to great lengths to make this clear that we need to be aware that when we are operating in gifts, that there might be people in service with us who have no knowledge of Jesus Christ, who do not know who he is and do not understand what's going on, and we need to be aware of that. Next, the common good is for the edification of the church. When we work in a spiritual gift, that God is working through us for the benefit of someone else. He's working through the benefit of someone in the room. He's trying to speak or he's trying to minister to whatever need that another individual has. He's trying to build up the church together. So the first order is for the non-believer. The second is for someone else. You notice who's left out of this equation. We are. We are left out of this equation. Our wants, our desires are not a factor in the common good. It is God who has, he has not left us out altogether, but in this context, he's saying you need to be aware of other people. So when we're in public worship, the common good is paramount. I was trying to think of an illustration to point out this, and I started thinking about our cafe, right? On Sunday mornings, you come in and we have donuts in the back. Amen. How many of you love donuts? I love donuts. Coffee, donuts. Uh, we, we might even start getting some tea. You know, I don't know. We can work on that. The common good is that there are donuts there for everyone. We like that. That's good. Now, I want you to imagine that if I was to go back there to get a donut and I started picking them up one at a time, examining the donut to see if it was a good donut or not, and I put it down and I kept grabbing donuts one at a time until I found one that I liked that looked perfect, I kept that one aside for me and I took all those other donuts I touched and put them back on the rack for you to eat, right? Was I concerned about your common good? No, a good thing, a donut just became a very weird thing. Why? Because I put myself before you. Ooh. Or imagine I'm chewing my donut and I don't close my mouth. (laughs) Buddy's like, we don't like those people. He laughed really loud, (laughs) right? I'm worried about me, what I'm intaking, but I'm not worried about you. And here's the point. Something that's supposed to be good for everyone can get very weird and awkward when I make it about me. And we have to be aware that the reality of that is possible when we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know that seems like a silly analogy, but the truth is we have to check and make sure that when I'm operating in the gifts of the Spirit, that I'm doing it the right way at the right time with the right motive so that the common good can be exemplified inside of the church. Why? Because I'm concerned about the order in which God has laid out for me. Verse number 8, 311 says this. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another a variety of kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now that Paul has laid the groundworks for spiritual gifts, he starts to mention and list individual gifts of the Spirit. 
These are the ways that the Holy Spirit would like to manifest himself in the life of a believer. Now, when we talk about this, what does this mean? This does not mean that the Holy Spirit suddenly takes over your body and forces you into operation of these gifts. I get this question all the time. If I get baptized by the Holy Spirit, does that mean that God just starts taking me over and I have no control? That is not what is being said inside of these scriptures. Again, we will see this very clearly when we get to chapter 14, that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. What that means is that we have a role to play in how we exercise this gift. We do not see anywhere in the book of Acts where God takes over a person like a human avatar to do his work. Rather, what we see is that God is working in partnership with humanity. That's what we see in the book of Acts. There's a partnership between God and with the believer. I talk about this often. When you look at creation, God's original intent for humanity was there to be a partnership between him and man. God gave dominion to man over the earth. Man's responsibility was to love and obey God. Man failed that calling. Now that we're saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is available. What we see is that God is now in partnership with man again. And there'll be times when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart or prompts the heart of an individual to empower them for a specific work in a specific moment. I think one of the clearest ways, one of the most tangible ways that we can see this is in the scripture itself, right? We are told by the scripture that the Holy Spirit moved upon the writers and they wrote down the very words of God. But when you read each, uh, like for example, each gospel or each epistle, you see that the individual personalities of the writers come out. Why is that? If the Holy Spirit moved upon the writers, why is there different personalities at play here? Because God was in partnership with the individual when the book was being written. So the words are the very words of God, how God wanted them to be said, in the way that God wanted them to be said, but they were given through the person, and God used their personalities in part of the process. You can see this when you read Jeremiah, right? You can read Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah wrote both of them. He's known as the weeping prophet. Why? Because his heart was constantly broken. You can see this play out. That's exactly how the Holy Spirit works in a believer. I've told this story many times, but I think it bears repeating uh, in this context because it gives some understanding for spiritual gifts. I have been legitimately prophesied over at one time in my life. I was 14 years old. If you've heard this story, I'm sorry that you're hearing it again. But at 14, I started feeling the call of God on my life, and I had a lot of questions for God. There was a time when I was laying on my bed, literally crying out to God, asking him a very specific set of questions. I was confused and I needed answers. And I was praying at a youth service in the altar area, and there was a youth sponsor that was praying over me, just praying a very normal prayer. And I looked up into his eyes, and you could see that his, his countenance changed a little bit. Like, you could tell that he, he was getting emotional, like he just instantly got this word from God for me. He starts to cry, and he starts telling me, He says, you've been asking God these questions. And he started listing off my questions one at a time. And then he started saying, and here's what God wants you to know. And he started giving me the answers one at a time. No one knew those questions. No one knew I'd even prayed those prayers. No one knew where I was at. He told me all the details. The only way he could have known those details was because God had given him that in the moment. And I know it was true because everything he told me came to pass. So it was confirmed. 
So this wasn't just some odd encounter. This was God working through him. That man's name was Nathan Torrance, and in that moment, God partnered with Nathan to give me the answer that I needed in life. That was a manifestation of the Spirit of God in Nathan's life to help a young man who's trying to figure out what his calling was in life. Now, why didn't God just speak to me directly? Well, because I might have thought I was crazy. You ever been there where you think, I think God told me something, but I feel crazy having heard it. But because Nathan was being worked and used in unison with God, and he was telling me what I was thinking, where I was at when I was thinking it, there was verification of the message I had received. And this told me that God was indeed listening, and he was speaking through, through Nathan to me, and it was confirmed by what was happening. And that is the best explanation that I personally have of how the Holy Spirit manifests the gifts. The Holy Spirit is partnering with the believer to get God's will to come to pass on earth. Now, about the spiritual gifts, it's also very important that these that you understand that these, these nine that we just read are not the only gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are other gifts mentioned in the book of Romans in chapter number 12 and Ephesians chapter number 4. There's even additional gifts spoken at the bottom of this chapter in this book. Paul's purpose right here is not to give us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. Rather, what he's trying to do is he's trying to pick a few as an example for the teaching purpose. And he lists nine gifts. He said there are, there are the revelatory gifts gifts of God that gives specific words through uh, revelation for a specific purpose. There's words of knowledge, a, a, a moment in which a specific revelation is given to an individual about a situation. There's uh, words of wisdom, a supernatural wise insight uh, in the moment to know how to handle a situation. There is, there's the gift of prophecy, which is prophecy speaking in human words, what God has spontaneously brought to mind. And these are given for the, the purpose of the edification, the, the encouragement, and the comfort of the church. There are also the vocal gifts given in a special moment of prayer or praise like tongues and interpretation. And these are not going to spend a whole lot of time on this morning because we're going to dive deep into this in two weeks, the fourth part of our series in two weeks when we start looking at chapter 14 because Paul deals with these in detail in chapter 14. There are the miraculous gifts like faith, the supernatural boldness and assurance in the moment that, that God is doing something unique in his own way. This is different from saving faith, the faith that God helps us with and instills in us. In this way, is a specific situation for a specific outcome. There's gifts of healing. From time to time, God will manifest the gift of healing in the life of someone for the benefit of others. We see this in the life of Paul, there was a season in his life in Ephesus where he was given the supernatural gift and people were being healed everywhere. There's also working of miracles listed in this passage. What is a working of miracles? Well, I would consider Acts chapter number 9, verse 40, where we see a gift uh, uh, miraculously given to Peter where he raised Tabitha from the dead. That's a miracle in my book. There's distinguishing in spirits. Well, what does that mean? I think a good example of this is in Acts 13 where Paul induces blindness on Elimaeus because he is, he is being divisive there. I believe that I wish we had time to, to dive into all the nuances of these gifts. Unfortunately, today in our setting, we don't have time to do that. If you want more study, I'd encourage you, though, simply just to read the book of Acts. You interpret Scripture with Scripture, and when you read the book of Acts, you will see that all of these gifts are in use in the book of Acts, and you'll be, you'll be given a, a description of how they, they play out. 
I think more importantly for our time today, we have to talk about the practical guidelines of how to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives as individuals. These are things that this passage teaches us of how the Holy Spirit intends to work. First thing I think you need to see is this. We have to acknowledge and embrace that we cannot force God's hand when it comes to spiritual gifts. You cannot make God give you a spiritual gift. Because the scripture tells us in verse 11, who apportions to each one as he wills. Spiritual gifts are not something I can just go to the bank and and take for myself as a deposit or a withdrawal. I can't go to Walmart and buy spiritual gifts. It's God who gives them and manifests them as he wills. This does not mean that we can't pray for additional gifts. In fact, we're encouraged to, as we'll see at the bottom of this chapter here in just a moment. But you have to understand that Paul also draws a line that you're not going to get all of them. We also have to seek, we should seek to be used as spiritual gifts, and we should constantly seek. But we also need to monitor our heart's motives. We need to check the motives of our hearts. We have to be certain that our longing for spiritual gifts is our love and welfare for others and not the notoriety or the attention we get when we use those spiritual gifts. We have to seek counsel of how to use these gifts properly. The Holy Spirit desires that the gifts be used in order and in accordance with his word. We are not to use the gifts as we see fit or how we feel in the moment. Rather, we are to use the gifts as dictated by the Holy Spirit. We must also not be narrow in one way in which God wants to speak, but we have to allow the gifts to flow. You need to immerse yourself in the Word of God. It's my opinion that if you truly want to be used in spiritual gifts, then you need to be in the Word because the Word gives us the parameters. The Word helps us to discern whether or not God is actually speaking to us. He reveals His character and His nature through His Word. And when I'm in His Word, then I can better understand and understand if what I'm actually hearing in my mind is from God or it's just my own fleeting thought. We need to be attentive to the leading of the Spirit. We need to watch, listen, and pray. We need to write things down that we feel like God is sharing with us so that we can decipher them and we can talk them out with other people who are mature in the faith. If you think that God has revealed something to you for the edification of another, first share it in confidence with a trusted, mature Christian, someone who can help process that so you can get some wisdom and some counsel in community. I think one of the most important things is we need to to be willing to be wrong in our use of spiritual gifts. When you step out and speak to another, it's of my opinion that you need to step out in confidence and faith, but also in humility. A lot of you maybe have heard or experienced where someone said, thus saith the Lord, and it was not the Lord that spoke, but it affected negatively the person who was hearing it. We need to understand that a lot of us in this room are mature enough spiritually that if someone came to me and said, comes to us and said, I have a word from God, we could decide and decipher very quickly if it was indeed from God or not. But not every person who comes into the building, not every person that's here is mature enough in the faith yet that they're able to decipher that. And if we walk up to someone and say, God told me to tell you and we're wrong, we can damage someone spiritually. We have to be careful. It's of my opinion that we can say, and it's of my This is just how I would approach things. Hey, look, I might have missed this entirely, but I think God's put something on my heart for you. And if this doesn't seem right or this seems odd, you won't hurt my feelings, just throw it out. But if you are right, they'll instantly know you're right. 
Why? Because what they say is going to resonate with their spirit, and it's going to hit home for them. So we have to resist the temptation to say, thus saith the Lord, or this is the will of God for your life. We have to be humble. We have to remember that there's certain things to avoid. As we're going to see in chapter 14, we have to be careful about the negative or critical words because that's not the purpose of the gifts according to Scripture. Rather, it's for the building up, encouraging, and strengthening of the body. There's one more phrase in this section that I think we need to pay very close attention to. I've already referenced it, but it's, uh, he gives to each one as he wills. The Holy Spirit gets to dictate and determine how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work according to his will. This shows that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are only to operate within a certain set of restrictions, and we have to be careful to make sure that we're operating inside those restrictions. I want to read the last section of this, this chapter. It's kind of a long uh, a, a section, so please bear with me as I read this to you, but I want to read the rest of the chapter. Starting in verse number 12, it says this. We've just read the what, now we're about to read the why. So as we read this remaining portion of Scripture, Paul's telling us why spiritual gifts are important. Verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of many members, but excuse me, of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor again the hand to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, just, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which of our more presentable parts do not require? But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may ha- have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work in miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. Give them some hope, worship team. Give them some hope. You guys might be hungry. We spent the majority of this message talking about the what. And now Paul has just clearly laid out the why. 
We have the foundation of the what of spiritual gifts. We've started talking a little bit about how they are to work, but we can never forget or lose sight of the why. Verse 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We have a saying around here, welcome to the family. It's what I love most about our church. It's what I believe that you feel when you walk in here. It's what we try to protect. This place needs to have a family feel. It needs to have a family vibe because we are one family. Or as Paul put it in this passage, we are one body. And why are we one body? For in one spirit, you're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul was writing this to us. Maybe he say this, for one spirit, you're all baptized in one body, men or women, Texans or Oklahomans, white or black, men or women, doesn't matter. You were all made to drink of one spirit. We're all one body. We're one family because the Holy Spirit is the one who's baptized us into that body. And that body is Jesus Christ and that makes us family. Romans 8 don't have time to dive into it today, but I encourage you to go home and read it. Romans 8, 9 through 17 talks about how the Spirit of God takes up residency inside of our hearts, and that makes us brothers and sisters. We're, we're not debted to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We died to the flesh when we got saved. Rather, because the Spirit is inside of us, we're called to live by the Spirit, and it's by the Holy Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit of adoption of sons to the Father God. Verse 16 of Romans 8, I want to read that to you. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also glorify Him. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits. We are all one family and one body because the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us in 1 Corinthians that when you get saved, you are baptized into the body. Then Paul goes on to say some other things. He's saying we need each other. We're all a little bit different. The giftings inside of us is a little bit different. But when you are baptized into that body, you have a gift, and you're to use that gift in accordance to help edify the body. You have a gift. God wants to help you use that gift, and God's calling you to empower you through the Spirit to use that gift in order to edify the body. We need each other. For some of us, God wants to use in the gift of prophecy. For others, God wants to use in the gift of tongues and interpretation. For others, faith. For others, administrating. For others, helping. For others, knowledge. For others, wisdom. We all need to be working in our giftings in order that the body can be built up. Paul says, if you're all an eye, then where would the sense of smell be? He's, he's being a little facetious again. It's like, you can't all be the same thing. Because there has to be diversity. There has to be a variety of gifts in order that the body can be built up. The Olympics are at the end of this summer, and those are some of the most incredible athletes in the world. We take track and field. Some of those people can run 100 meters in under 10 seconds. They're lightning fast. But you remove one of their foot, where they have one foot, they're not going to run. Why? Because their body is not 
in complete harmony. And that's what happens a lot of times in the church. We cannot afford to have church without each other. We need to be working in our giftings. We need to be running in our lanes. We also need to be careful because Paul gives us a warning. He says that I cannot say the hand, I do not need you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts that seem weaker are indispensable. We have to be careful not only to run with our gifts, but we also have to be careful not to dominate with our gifts. Because when we dominate with our gifts, we limit other people from using their giftings. We have to create space. We have to be careful in our gifts not to dominate public gatherings and hinder other people. This passage makes it very clear that there's not a hierarchy in gifts. He says, some are weaker than others. They're indispensable. Some has less honor. We bestow greater honor. Some are unpresentable, so we treat them with greater modesty. Other parts are presentable. They don't need that. But all are important is what he's getting at. The Holy Spirit in his power has gifted us, and he's brought us together as a church to be working in harmony and everyone flowing in their gifts so that the body runs smooth. I was thinking about this as I was reading it. There are two people in this room today that I want to just mention and highlight, and they're going to be very upset for me doing that. And I'm very scared to actually do this because I could probably go around the room and talk about almost every single person here and how God's used them, but I want to highlight two. Jill Nichol and Susan Stapleton have the gift of helping. You know them, you know that. Romans 12 talks about hospitality, they have that. Most of you don't even know that every week they alternate making food for about 100 teenagers on Wednesday night. I want you to think about that. Yeah. Like they deserve a hand clap. They deserve a hand clap. They could probably use some help too if you're interested. It's a lot of work. What's interesting is Paul lists that as a spiritual gift. It's listed in the Bible. Is that as powerful as a miracle? I don't know, you tell me. Imagine you're a teenager and you have a terrible home life and you don't have a lot of food at home and you come to church. What speaks more to you? A home-cooked meal from someone who loves and cares for you so you can sit among your friends and you can learn about Jesus through worship and the word and your stomach isn't growling during that time? I don't know, that's a powerful move of the Holy Spirit in my We need each other. We need to be operating in the gifts. Paul says at the very bottom, he starts asking questions and he says, do all. You won't have every gift. He encourages you to desire the higher gifts, but that's not a guarantee. And what that means is that all of us need to be working fully in the Holy Spirit. And we need to allow God to empower us if we're gonna run smoothly. If you would, please stand with me this morning. Stan, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning, we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And this morning, I want to give you space and give you opportunity. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, this sounds well and good, but I'm not a believer. I'm not in the body. I've never surrendered my heart and my life to Jesus. I'm here today, but I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not here. 
Let me tell you, if you're here and that's you today, we need you in this body. We need you in the body of believers. We need you to be a part of our family. The Bible says Jesus told a story about how a shepherd would leave 99 sheep to go find the one lost one. Maybe you're here today and you're that one. Jesus can save you and he can set you free. Here in just a moment, if that's you and you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to be down here during our altar time. You can come find me and I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'll be right down over here. You're right my left on the floor. Second is this. Paul makes it very, very clear that we need the working of the Spirit and every single one of us has a role to play. And I just wonder as we as a church can come and begin to pray at these altars and say, God, I want you to empower me so that I can be a blessing to someone else, so that I can build up this body that you have made me a part of. That's what all of our prayers should be. Our prayer should be, God, use me so that I can honor you. God, use me so I can build up your body. So I'm gonna pray, and then when I get done praying, I wanna invite as many that will to begin to come and seek and say, God, empower me so that I can lift you up. Empower me so I can be a blessing to my